Yes, well, good morning, everyone. My name is Lindsay Rich. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is just really great to be with you all this morning um, and to get to just think together um, about something about following Jesus. So this has been um, a fun and exciting week in my house, in our family. We did something, we made a decision where we invited um, a little bit of chaos into our home. And along with that came a little bit of cuteness. So this is Javi, this is our puppy. Eight days ago, we brought this little mischievous thing home. And, and I can tell you that while he's really fun, he also really loves socks, and he really loves kitchen towels and all of these things, right? So, so he has been really great, um, and he also has brought some chaos um, into, into our family. Uh, one of the fun things for me um, about bringing this dog home has been that a lot of people have wanted to come over and meet our puppy. Uh, so I am an extrovert. I love being around people. And so this has been great because we've just had so many people coming over and, and, and meeting Javi. Uh, my sisters live in town and they both came and they brought their kids. Uh, my older sister, when she came, she came with her, her sons and her husband. Uh, my kids heard the car pull up, right? And so they grabbed Javi and they ran outside um, so that they could introduce him to them. And, and so while we were standing there, my brother-in-law, who is amazing, he's super fun and funny, right? We were outside. We hadn't even gone in the house yet. We're standing on the porch, and um, he's looking at the dog, and then he looks at my three kids, right? They're, they're 8, 10, and 12. And he looked at them, and he said, so which one of you is Javi's favorite, Right? who does Javi like the best in this house, right? And I just started cracking up, right? I thought that was hilarious. My sister's like, stop, stop. You know, she, she is very polite, and, and I'm less polite, I guess. Um, but it, So I thought this was hilarious, right? My dog right now doesn't seem to have a favorite, uh, but there are a lot of things in life that we have that are our favorites, right? We recently celebrated uh, National Ice Cream Day. I didn't know that was a thing, but when I found out, we decided we were going to celebrate it. Uh, we have a favorite ice cream place, and so Ryan, my husband, went and got us our favorite flavors from our favorite ice cream place, right? A lot of times, we have a favorite color. Maybe we have a, a favorite chair that we sit in in our house, a favorite pair of shoes, right? A favorite is something that we prefer, right? Given a, a lot of things from, that are similar, right? Our favorite is the one that we would choose, the one that we would lean towards. So if you have a whole menu of sandwiches, there's one that might be your favorite. If you have a whole album of songs, there's one that you might lean towards as your favorite, right? Having preferences and having favorite things is, is just something that comes up a lot. And most of the time, our favorite things are really of little consequence, you know, there's not too many ripple effects uh, to the favorite brand of toothpaste that you use, right? There aren't many implications for your favorite flower that you like to plant outside of your house. Uh, but there are some things in life, some ways of showing preference, some favorites that we might have or lean towards that are actually not good, uh, that can actually be harmful in our lives. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. I want us to look together um, at some scripture passages that come from the book that we call James. This is actually a letter that James wrote. James was the brother of Jesus. And um, so this was a letter that he wrote to a number of churches in the first century. James was a leader in the first century church. Um, and so he would write to um, encourage these churches. And I want us to read together um, this from James chapter 2. 
where James is talking about favorites. And he says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For, who, for he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we are in the middle of a sermon series right now where we are looking at summer games. We're looking at board games and sports games, and we are thinking about the lessons we learn from the games that we play and how some of those lessons might be applied to our lives, to our faith journey, to how we follow Jesus. Um, and when Pastor Kyle told me about his idea for our summer sermon series, I started thinking about games. And pretty early on, I came up with the idea of talking about Red Rover. How many of you played Red Rover growing up? Did you ever play in gym class at school? Yes. Okay, I played a lot of Red Rover growing up, right? And, and this um, game, yes, one of the things that um, I remember about the game is like, having really mixed emotions about it, honestly, right? So the way that you play this game, Red Rover, is you get everyone who wants to play um, and you divide them into two groups. And each group stands and holds hands, just like these kids in this photo. And you hold hands and you kind of make like a wall, right? And, and that you face the other team. So you have these two lines um, who are holding hands facing each other. And then you take turns calling one person from the other team to come and to try to break through the arms of these kids, right? So here's this kid, right? You have two lines and you're standing there and you would call out, you'd say, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Susie right over, right? Or send David right over, whoever it is. And so then this kid Here's his name being called, and he gets ready, right? And then he runs as fast and as strong as he can. And these kids who are holding hands hold as tightly as they can, and they wince, right? They, ah, here they come, right? And so, so they're trying to be strong and break through, and you're trying to be strong and hold them out. Um, and that's kind of the whole point of the game, right? You, you take turns calling each other um, and, and trying to break through these kind of walls of defense that you put up. And when I played that game, what I remember is both really wanting my name to be called and really dreading my name being called. Because I remember playing entire games of Red Rover where my name was never even called. 
And I was like, am I even playing the game? <laughs> like, does it matter that I'm standing here? Does anyone see me or notice me? But then at the same time, I would hate when my name was called because I didn't want to have to run and try and break through and have everybody watch me and not know if I would make it or not, right? So I had this real internal struggle while I played Red Rover. But as I was preparing for today, um, I was doing research, right? And not only was I studying the, the scripture that we're looking at today, but I also was looking up Red Rover, right? I wanted to make sure that I got the rules right and I, I remembered it correctly. And as I was reading about Red Rover, I learned that Red Rover has been banned. You guys... They, they don't even let kids play this game anymore in school. I had no idea. Apparently, about eight years ago, there was a lawsuit in California, and, like, this kid broke his leg. I, don't, I could understand it. I don't know how you break a leg playing Red Rover, but, but it's getting intense out there. And so I think not only did they realize that there's some, like, physical kind of risk in playing Red Rover, I think maybe I wasn't the only one who kind of had these sort of internal struggles, right? And they realized, you know, maybe there's some other games we could play. Maybe we could just move on from Red Rover. And so when I learned that Red Rover was banned, I thought, this is perfect, right? This is so great for this morning. Because the more I thought about it, the more I realized that sometimes the lessons that we learn from the games that we play should be banned. There are things that we learn, there are messages that we hold on to, things that we embrace that actually are not helpful in our lives. There are ideas that we hold on to that actually can keep us from being the people that we want to be, can keep us from living the lives that we want to live, keep us from following Jesus more faithfully. And so that's what I want us to talk about this morning, are the lessons that we learn from Red Rover that I think we should ban. <laughs> just like they've banned the game, right? Because when you play Red Rover, what you do is you stand in a line and you literally just size each other up, right? You kind of look people up and down and you think, does she look strong? Does he look fast? Does that person, do, do I think I want that person on my team? Do they look like somebody who I want? Do, do, they, do I think they could belong? Right? And so we're literally looking at someone's appearance or, or making a determination of whether or not we think that they should be on our team. And then we say, now prove it. Right? Go ahead and prove it if you belong here or not. I think the lessons that we learn from Red Rover, like so many other places in society, it teaches us right, that our value is based on our appearance or on what we can perform. It teaches us that our value, right, that our desirability, that our worthiness of belonging in a place is related to how we can perform, to what we bring to the table. What do I have to offer? Right? Am I worth something? Am I worthy? Am I desirable? Do I belong? And we internalize these messages in so many ways. Right? Society constantly is pointing this out to us in different ways. We look at each other and our lives, and we ask each other these questions and determine, like, how valuable are you? Do you belong or not? We ask each other questions about, well, what do you do for a living? What kind of degree do you hold? How much money do you earn? Where in town do you live? Are you married? Right? We ask these questions. What color is your skin? What brand are your shoes? 
right? Well, all of these ways that we, we look at each other and we determine where we think that we fit, right? What's your appearance like? Are you conforming to diet culture, right? What do you look like? Do you belong here? Do you offer something that I think is valuable? And so we learn this lesson from the games we play, from the shows we watch, from the books that we read. And we, we learn, people learn to show favor to those people who we think fit the appearance or, or the offerings of, of what society values. And then we tend to gravitate towards people who have wealth or who have influence, who have power in some way that we think, well, if I have them on my team, then we'll win, right? If, if they have value and I'm next to them, then, then I'll have value too. And so we learn these things from the games that we play. And, and these lessons that we learn from Red Rover and from other places are not unique to our society. When Jesus came, he came and he preached the good news. And the good news, that the message that Jesus brought was the long-awaited Messiah had come, right? He showed up as the one that we could trust. And when he came, he brought his kingdom to earth. And he said, this kingdom is a kingdom that you get to participate in. And everyday people like you and me get to join in following Jesus and participating in his kingdom. And so he went around teaching about what his kingdom is like. And, and his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is one example where he was teaching people what his kingdom is like. Right? Because the society in, in the first century and the, the um, area of the world where Jesus lived, it was a society that placed a lot of value on wealth and influence and power. And so the people who had it often ignored the people who didn't have it, or they would oppress or take advantage of the people who didn't have it. And so Jesus was teaching, well, that's the, that's the lesson you learn out there, right? But in my kingdom, it's different. In my kingdom, blessed are the poor. In my kingdom, blessed are the meek. In my kingdom, blessed are the merciful, right? Jesus was teaching something that was an upside down kingdom. It was a, a countercultural way of living life. He said, this is what you learn in the society, but that's not how it is in my kingdom. Come and follow me. Come and be a part of this kingdom. This is how we live in this kingdom. James, who was Jesus's brother, was a leader in the first century church, and he was writing to the churches to encourage them to continue living in this way of following Jesus in his kingdom. And the, what we read together from the letter of James was, was reinforcing these ideas that Jesus had taught about how to live in his kingdom. And so what James said, right, I'm just kind of paraphrasing his message. He was like, listen, when you gather together, if you have two people that come and visit, and one is just like dressed to the nines, right? Somebody shows up and they're wearing really nice shoes and they have you know, fancy custom jewelry. If they look like someone who's wealthy, if they look like someone who's well-connected, and then you have another person who shows up and they look a bit a mess, right? They look like they're wearing a hand-me-down dirty tracksuit and you think, I, I don't know where they stand, right? If when they both show up to your meeting, to your small group, to your book club, when they show up to a dinner party, when they show up among your gathered people, if you show favoritism, if you show preference towards the one who you think is wealthy and well-connected, then you've missed the mark, 
right? If when someone pulls up to your church, if they're driving a luxury car and you give them a parking space close to the front so everyone can see it and you have the person driving the beater kind of drive around the other way, you've missed something here, right? He's reminding people that that's not the way of the kingdom of God, right? That's not actually what Jesus taught. And so James is reminding people that in the kingdom of God, we don't show favoritism. The people who believe in Jesus, he's saying, don't actually show favoritism. That's not the way of Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, well, gosh, where, where does this, you know, show up in life? How, how do we actually see this? One of the most memorable church services that I have gone to was actually a Sunday evening service. This was a number of years ago. Um, and I went to the service and the pastor of that church stood on the platform and told a story of what had happened that morning in their church. This was a big church um, and the service was full. Um, and so people were coming and the sanctuary space had already been filled to capacity. And so they were directing people to the overflow space where they had a screen and they were gonna project the service onto there. And as people were coming, one of the ushers realized that someone who had just shown up was a senator. And he recognized him. And he said, oh, gosh, well, we don't want the senator to go to the overflow space. And, um, you know, let's see if we can find a seat in the sanctuary. And so he went in and he found a family that was seated in the sanctuary and asked if they would be willing to move to the overflow space so that the senator and his family could sit in the sanctuary. And they did. And so the pastor stood on the platform that night and he said, you know, we have a whole program lined up and we're not doing any of it. We're, we're not doing the music and we're not doing the teaching. And he said, we've sinned before the Lord and we're gonna repent. And he turned that entire meeting into a prayer service and led the whole church in repentance because he said somewhere along the way, we've missed the mark. And what was really memorable to me about that service was First, the, the centering of confession and repentance, of saying actually this matters. It matters to say when we've done something wrong and to repent. But also, they weren't singling out this usher who had done something wrong, right? This, this usher who was the one who went and actually moved them. Because what the pastor was saying was, you know what we've done is we have created a culture in this place where this is what we think is right. And everyone who was involved in that situation thought that it was the right thing to do. And they were thinking about it and they were like, well, isn't this great, right? Isn't this great for the church, right? We can honor this senator. And isn't this really good for like for, to have a position, like, like someone who could influence for us, someone who could advocate on our behalf? Isn't this good for the gospel? Isn't this good for the advancement of something, right? And so they were thinking these thoughts about, you know, about honoring and about moving things forward, right? I, I don't know exactly what they were thinking, but the pastor stood flat-footed on that platform and he said, we are not valuing people in the way that Jesus has taught us to value people. And that stood out to me and I remembered that. And I think it is so important for us as followers of Jesus to realize and to recognize that actually we can be influenced by the pressures of society Right, the lessons that we learn from Red Rover and the games that we play and all that society teaches us run deep. 
And it can get deep into our hearts and it takes a lot of intentionality and it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of pushing back against these ideas that are not what the countercultural message of Jesus is. That he says, in my kingdom, we do things a bit differently, right? In my kingdom, the poor are blessed. In my kingdom, the meek are blessed. In my kingdom, we honor everyone, Right? We don't look at people and differentiate and say some people have value more than others. Um, we, we don't, that's not how we honor and value people. Now, there's something that I think is really important for us to recognize and to remember from this teaching from James. And that is that this was not a new teaching that he was bringing there are a lot of places in scripture where we see people who are bringing a new message to people, right? People who have never heard the gospel story where they're standing on a hillside somewhere and people are amazed and awed, right? That's not this. James was writing this letter to a church, to multiple churches. They sent it around to all the churches. He was writing this letter to people who believed in Jesus. They had already put their hand in the air and said, I'm in, I'm following Jesus, right? He was writing this letter to the church. And so this is important and significant for us to realize this is not just a message for other people. This is a message for those of us who believe. I, I want us to read again um, from James chapter 2, verse 1. And this time I want us to read from the NRSV version. That's actually my favorite version. Um, I usually read and teach from this version. I really like that this is um, referenced, that they put it in the form of a question. And so James says to them, my brothers and sisters... Do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Are you saying, do you, do you really believe this? Do you really believe what you say that you believe? James, um, in this letter, is most well known for talking about faith and works, right? He pairs these things together. And in this same chapter, a few verses uh, later, he says, faith without works is dead. And what he's saying is you can have faith, you can believe in something, but if you don't have works, if you don't actually back it up with what you do, if you don't live out what you say that you believe, then your faith is worthless. Your faith is dead. He says faith and works go together. And so he's asking them this really provocative question, right? I love how bold James is. He's saying, friends, do you really believe what you say that you believe? Do you really believe in Jesus? Because you can go to church and you can sit and listen to the teachings of Jesus. But if you don't do what Jesus teaches you to do, then you're not actually following him. So he's saying, do you actually believe what you think you believe? Because I see acts of favoritism among you, and that's not how it is in the kingdom of God. And so there's this invitation to reconsider what do you actually believe about the kingdom? What do you actually believe about what God is inviting us to do in following him and living out um, his, his teachings and his way of living in the world? You know, society um, has really conditioned us to have favorites, you know, to kind of show our preference for things. Social media is notorious for this, right? We give a thumbs up and a thumbs down to like all kinds of things, right? If you scroll on um, Facebook, a lot of times you see, right, do you like this? Do you like this, right? Is this a funny joke? Do you like this picture? Do you like my puppy, right? Are you gonna give it a thumbs up? Are you gonna add this thing to your favorites list, right? We, I even do this with my text messages, right? If my husband sends me a text, you know you can like thumbs up and thumbs down texts, right? So he'll send me something and he'll be like, oh, I'm running late, you know, get there when I can. And I'm just like, 
thumbs down, like dislike, of, you know, but if he sends me like a picture of like takeout and he's like, hey, I got dinner covered. I'm like, thumbs up, right? Like, yes, I like that, right? And, and we just, we think about this stuff, right? We're conditioned to think, what do you like? What do you prefer? What are you drawn towards, right? James is reminding the, the church, right? The people of God who were following Jesus. He's saying, you know what? In the kingdom of God, preference for people is banned, right? They, they've, they've banned the, the Red Rover game, right? He's like, we're, we're banning this. We don't do this, right? The games that we play in life, the lessons we learn from the ways that we interact might say that this is how the world works, but it's not how it is in my kingdom, right? We're banning this. We're not doing it anymore. We're not telling people that their value or their worth is based on what they bring to the table. It's not based on their appearance. It's not based on what we think that we can use that they could leverage for our mission, for what we want to do to move things forward. And this is important for us because it can show up in a lot of ways, right, in our gatherings and in our spaces. I know a woman um, who went to church for the first time, maybe the only time, um, in middle school. She was not raised in a Christian family. I don't think she had ever read the Bible at all before she went um, to that service and actually what happened is when she went with her friend, they um, did sword drills. Do you remember sword drills? Did any of you grow up doing those? What it is, it's, it's like a race. It's a game where if you're in church, you have your physical Bible and the leader or the teacher or whatever will call out like a reference to a scripture. So they'll name a book of the Bible and a chapter and verse. So they'll say like Romans 3.23 and then it's a race to see who can find it the fastest, right? And so it's like this contest. Um, I actually loved doing them growing up, right? But this girl who came probably couldn't name a single book in the Bible. And so she was sitting in the Sunday school class and they were playing this game. And when it was her turn, she said to the teacher, you know, I don't, I don't want to play. And the teacher really interpreted that as disrespect. And so what ended up happening is instead of this girl showing up to this place and feeling really welcomed and feeling like this was a place where she was valued and where she was wanted and where, where her presence mattered, she left feeling like she had been given a big thumbs down. She left feeling like her presence was not valued, like she didn't matter in that place, like she was not the one they wanted to show up. And I bet that that Sunday school teacher was really great. I bet that she really loved Jesus. And I bet that she wanted her Sunday school class to grow. I just also wonder who she had in mind that would show up for the growth of this class. Who she was hoping would turn up to church. Who she was praying would sit in the seats. Right? And, and I think people know whether or not they're wanted in our spaces. Right? We know this. We've all been that person, right? We, you've been invited to somebody's house and you know if they're really happy that you've come or if they're like, oh, yay, you again, <laughs> right? Like we know if we've been invited like to a dinner party or to a work event, if we've shown up to, to any, any sort of event, we know if somebody really wants us there or if they kind of tolerate us being there. Like we know this, we've felt this. People know if we are honoring or dishonoring them when they show up to our spaces, right? They know this. They know if we're treating them like the person who is well-dressed or the person who is not well-dressed in this story that James is telling. And so, so the invitation for us 
as people who believe in Jesus, as people who are followers of Jesus, is to actually live out what Jesus taught, what James is reteaching, right? And, and to actually put this into practice and to recognize that this is good news for us. Right, Bob Goff said, um, I, I love this quote. I actually really like Bob Goff. He's, he's a teacher and he's written a number of books. And um, this is what Bob Goff says. He says, people will figure out what we actually believe by seeing what we actually do. Right, people will, well, they will figure out what we actually believe by seeing what we actually do. And this makes me think of James when he says, listen, you have to pair your faith with what you actually do in your life. The invitation is not just to believe in what Jesus said, it's to follow Jesus, to follow his teachings, to follow him in the way of his kingdom. And I wonder what this would look like if we did this more and more. But I wonder what this looks like here at South Park Church. I wonder what this looks like more in our lives, right? Who do we hope will show up? Who are we trying to befriend? Right, who, who do we anticipate walking through the doors? And when people do walk through the doors, how do we treat them when they're here? Right, we are people who are valued by God, not based on what we look like, not based on what we can offer, not based on what capital we bring, what influence we can provide, right, what expertise we can share. We are valued to God simply because he made us and he loves us and he has called us and invited us to know him and be known by him. And now we get to join in that. We get to value other people with the same value system that God does. Everyone in God's kingdom is wildly, wildly welcome. And we want to be the people who live that out more and more. So as we um, wrap up, I want to invite you actually to stand. I want to pray for us, but um, yeah, I want to invite you to stand while we do. God, we thank you that your kingdom is wildly welcoming. God, we thank you that you are a God who sees us and values us, not based on what we can do or how we perform or how we measure up. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to receive that from you and to offer that to everyone around us. Lord, we repent and we say we're sorry for the times when we get this wrong, for the times when we dishonor people and dishonor you by not valuing them. Lord, will you forgive us? And will you help us to see people and to love people and to live out your kingdom values? Help us not just to believe in you, but to actually follow you with our words and with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.